Hello and welcome back to another episode of On Spec. I am your host, Ryan Brath. This week's episode is all about the nitty gritty of old school golf clubs. Uh, specifically what makes golf clubs popular for a very long period of time or cult golf clubs. Uh, it's a topic I've covered before, but it's one that I want to go over again because of this weekend's winner on the PGA Tour, Brian Gay. Brian Gay has used the same set of irons for a very long period of time, a very specific set that I have written about in the past. And it's something that I think is always fun to touch on because I get questions all the time uh, about uh, people who have, say, especially when it comes to irons and wedges, irons very much specifically, some hybrids, sometimes it, it kind of touches on fairy woods as well. But a lot of the conversations I have with golfers are about, should I upgrade my irons because they are X? They are, they are this brand, they're this club. Uh, do you think I need to upgrade? Or, you know, I've had my clubs for this period of time and, you know, is there something that I'm losing out on? And a lot of times it depends on the style of golf club that they are. It depends on uh, where the golfer is in their ability. Have it be either going, uh, having a handicap that's going down or one that's potentially going up. We never really want to see that, but you know, it does happen. And so because of that, sometimes it means either getting refit or finding new golf clubs. But in a lot of times, and in a lot of cases, if someone is looking strictly for a certain or a particular type of performance out of their golf club, I don't recommend changing irons that often unless there's a very specific reason for it. And speaking to Brian Gay's point, he happened to be playing this week Strixon Z745s. Now that iron came out, I think uh, I think we're looking at close to seven, seven years ago now, potentially eight years ago. Uh, and when you think about like how old that is when it comes to golf clubs on the PGA Tour, and he's not the only one using older model irons, which is, again, something that I've just touched on. Uh, Daniel Berger is using a set of uh, MC irons from TaylorMade. Those are, I think those are getting close to 10 years old now. Actually, if I think of the model numbering properly, I'm pretty sure that Brian Gay's are around six to seven years old because the 45 was for 2014. So that's just something to keep note of. And it comes down to, again, what makes these golf clubs stick around in players' bags? And like I said, when I did the question and answer, remember, you can always follow along the question and answers on Fridays on Instagram at RDSBrath. You can also follow me along, same handle on Twitter as well. And then the show, we have a page for the show as well. That is on WRX on Instagram. So, Again, I do these questions and answers, and I'm always trying to figure out ways that I can incorporate what's going on in golf with the PGA Tour and just equipment in general, have it be releases or something like that, um, with what I'm talking about. And again, with Brian Gay's win, I want to specifically touch on the Z745s from Strixon, as well as touching on some other golf clubs that I may have mentioned before and some others that I haven't, because I am a devote collector of older golf clubs because and even even this week on golfwx.com you can find an article that i wrote about the best drivers under a hundred dollars and this feeds into the idea of look we get it i am totally understanding when people talk about golf equipment being expensive it is 
But if you are only looking at it through the lens of someone who is buying new, then yes, of course it's going to be expensive. Let me tell you, again, here's the first car analogy of the day. I'm gonna tie it all in. Um, I recently saw a commercial, the release, whatever you wanna call it, the teaser video of the electric Hummer, the new one, the Hummer EV. It was got, I think a thousand horsepower and it has like all these really, really cool features. And if I was someone who you know doesn't buy cars very often and I was to watch that and I would say, oh, that's like a, I don't know, $100,000 plus vehicle. Say, so, man, cars are really expensive. But then if I'm also looking for like a really nice old reliable Camry, well then, you know, those are a lot less expensive than the brand new Hummer EV, right? We're talking something that is entirely new. And it's kind of that same way in golf equipment, right? You can find the classics that are going to last you and do a really good job and help you play the game. And then if you're looking for the most fancy and the coolest, it's got all the tech, um, you can find that as well when it comes to, now what, what am I talking Am I talking about cars? Am I talking about golf clubs? Who knows? But as far as golf equipment goes, yes, it is expensive. We write about the new stuff because that's, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, it's because it's cool. There's new stuff going on in it. We're curious to find out how it works, why it works, uh, what boundaries of uh, manufacturing OEMs are pushing as far as being able to create new products, create something that is more forgiving. Um, and now too, one of the other things that always comes up is the idea, uh, and we like, it's funny now because I would think back like almost 15 years ago when I was someone who was like just starting out and like really getting into golf equipment, like really like not so much the getting into golf that had happened a long time before 15 years ago, but getting into equipment and getting into the nitty gritty in the wormholes of internet forums and talking to other golfers and all these other things. And you kept hearing it every time. Oh, well, yeah, they've maxed out drivers. Like the R500 series was maxed out, had the COR. I mean, they originally they had made those, the drivers were illegal. You can, you can still kind of find them if they don't have the grooves on the face. There you go, if you're looking for something. And the RNA and the USGA had to come together and say, okay, look, this is what we're going to make the COR limit. And... No, this is what we're going to do. And I mean, even Tiger Woods was testing when he was with Nike, he was testing, I think, an old 510. And then they said, of course, you know, it's, it's illegal. It, of course, when Nike tested it, it was, it was not conforming. And because at the time, everyone was talking about non-conforming equipment, as well as Phil had his famous, like, oh, Tiger plays inferior equipment. That's why, you know, for us, like, we have an advantage. And of course, like, they're plugging each other's, they're plugging their own sponsors, they're doing all kinds of stuff, right? Phil's being Phil, being a showman, you know, talking trash, doing all that stuff. But in reality, there was a lot going on as far as this evolution of equipment that was happening. And people kept saying, every time a new driver came out, it was like, yeah, but how can it really go that much further? Because it's, you know, they're maxed out, they're maxed out, they're maxed out. Well, yes, we've been saying that for 10 years. But I can tell you as someone who has purchased golf equipment and gone out and tested old stuff and put it on launch monitors, and if you are maxed out with an older piece of equipment, you know what? It's going to be pretty hard over the last five years to really beat it, like truly beat. I'm talking like, you know, the 20-yard difference that people talk about. But what we're looking at when it comes to new clubs is the the narrowing of the standard deviation from a good to a bad shot. And that's what we're seeing. And we see it with drivers, we see it in fairy woods, we see it in iron ball speed, we see it across the board, across equipment. And that's what you get, is you're, you're getting consistency with newer golf clubs. 
And when it comes down to irons, getting back to the subject at hand, and the 745s, a forged cavity back is only going to produce so much ball speed based on the center of gravity, the sole design, the loft on it, and the player dynamics. And if you have a set of irons that performs really well, there's not a lot of reason to upgrade. And Brian Gay is that perfect example. And if we're going to go, let's go down the rabbit hole of the 745 and Strixon irons, because this is something that I think is fun to talk about. We've seen prototypes on tour for a little while now. Um, there's probably something coming down the pipeline. I think they were potentially released in Europe. I'm not sure either way, but they're kind of done this uh, because of what's going on in the world with COVID and supply chains and all these different things, companies have done these like staggered releases. So we're, we're starting to get some information, but I don't have enough information to really share anything on that. But we do know that they're out on tour and they are prototypes. And we've seen some pretty quick uh, upkeep or uptick on of like acceptance of these new of this new stuff. But one of the irons that continues to stick around with, play, with staff players and non-staff players, someone like Brian Gay, are these 745s. And what makes them so great? We have to look at the entire design, right? But we also have to look at uh, the the evolution of Strixon irons because I've someone I'm someone who's like followed a lot of their their clubs for a long time, and at this point, what I'm probably going to do is be ruining my own opportunity to be buying used stuff because now I'm going to see this bump of, of eBay prices because people are going to go like start looking more and you're going to see the more bids and anything like that. I always think that's going to happen. I know it never does, but anyways. So the first ones we have are the, I think they were 306. And uh, so there was the, there was a 300 iron. There was like a 506. Then there was the 701 and there was a tour and there was a standard version of that. And that was, and that was before, and that was the ZTX. So that was like, technically that was the first Z series iron. Uh, before the 745 came out, and then the, the the 545 and the 945, all like all ridiculously good golf clubs. But you started to see this evolution of the sole design, where they had this this very sharp camber, and they also cut the heel and toe out of them, so they were a little bit raised. And if you look back to one of the things that a lot of uh, what that doesn't really get a lot of credit now of how cool it was because like every one of their irons does it but the ping i3 was the first iron that had that little heel notch in it to help improve turf interaction because it just removed this dead spot at the bottom of the hosel um, because for them and ping um, to create forgiveness and push heel and toe weighting they had this design and they looked at it and they're like you know there's a lot of turf interaction going on here and we really want the, the center of the golf club to contact the ground so even if someone comes in a little bit odd or you got a, a kind of a tough lie this notch allows us to a bend our irons easier because there's less material there. You're not compressing metal and trying to put it into that spot. Uh, so it makes it easier for them to adjust, which probably from the production side as well, probably helps so you're not breaking golf clubs. Or if you've ever seen someone bend a pin golf club, like from the factory, it's actually very cool. It involves a, a very heavy mallet and a vice, uh, which I highly recommend watching, trying to find something online like that. Cause it is very neat. It's a very unique process that they use. But anyways, so the Strixon iron, they did this with the, it was like the, with the five, I think it was the 506, then the 701 had it as well, and then the ZTX, it had it too, so they started to cut it out, but then it got to the 745, and they kind of merged the design philosophies of some Japanese golf clubs, as well with more, more North American styling. If you've ever looked at 
older Japanese irons. It comes down to, it, there's a very distinct toe shape with them. It's like a lower rounded toe that is very common. And then you also see a higher heel on them. And there was kind of this meddling of the two for a long period of time. There's some that were a little bit more rounded. You even see this in like, I think it's the S. There's like an, a 100 series blade from Cirque that's like a lot older now. And uh, they kind of had that same more rounded shape. But when it comes to irons, like say from McGregor, or you looked at any of the old, some of the old Hogan stuff, there was, it was much sharper. And I don't know if that's because of turf conditions or just like what people were used to looking at or, or why it was, maybe it was just the designers over there um, where a lot of like the, their brands originated from, just like America had like Ben Hogan as a brand or Titleist or Clubcraft, or again, McGregor's another example. Um, Ping, Ping is not as old as some of the other ones, um, especially when you think of something like Hogan. But along the lines, the whole time was these like, there was these two competing styles, these ideas of styles. And then everything kind of came together for originally it was the ZTX and it had some of that heel toe tungsten weighting. It had some of that, uh, the VT sole, which is that very sharp, um, camber right in the middle of the sole. And then the 745 came out and with it also came Cleveland kind of leaving the, the iron market behind. They had the 588 precision forge, which by the way, are fantastic irons. There's the cavity back. And then there was also the blade. Uh, they came out, it was, Cleveland was kind of in this like weird spot where they still had some irons and they had the, they, they also had some game improvement stuff. Remember the CG red and CG yellow? Yeah, go, go back and look for the, some of that stuff. Cause the red was actually a really nice set of irons. But again, it was one of those things where their branding and messaging didn't really mesh up with everything else that they did along the lines of their their drivers. And it, it was just like, they didn't click with consumers. And I remember that because I was working and people were kind of like, what's the difference between this and this? And the color didn't really match up, right? And we don't see that anymore from companies because I feel like there was a lot of, at the time, companies trying to figure this stuff out. So back to the 745. They had completely... Uh, Cleveland had not done any forged irons in a long time. Uh, a couple, I think it was maybe a couple of years. Uh, a lot of their staffers had converted to Strixon. They still play Cleveland wedges. It was more became more like a short game company as well as a um, you know more game improvement style of golf clubs. When you think of their irons and their fairy woods and their driver, uh, and also at a, a slightly lower cost point as well, we have to factor that in. And then they hit with these golf clubs. And all, almost all of their staffers switched to these 745s or combo with 545. Some used the 945 blade, which at one point were just a prototype. And then they eventually released. And it was this perfect merging of uh, what I would call more American style. So you had the sharper top line. It was a lot more compact. It had this very square toe, extremely aggressive VT sole. And it had the tungsten in the toe. And... It was also slightly shorter heel toe blade length because of the mass properties of the club head. It was quite forgiving. And the other thing too, which I don't think a lot of people think about when it comes to more of the, the player style golf club is the lofts, right? And we've seen it now, you know, six years later with Titleist and the T100S, knowing players that have speed go look at the loss of Bryson DeChambeau's irons they're insanely strong and part of that is to hit his loft windows because of the CG of his golf clubs and his one length and all these other things 
not a rabbit hole I'm going down right now. But if you look at the loss specifically, they're very strong because they he has so much speed that he creates a lot of spin and that helps reduce the spin. So for the Strixon, you had this iron that was uh, forged, looked fantastic, had slightly stronger loft for a player's forged cavity back, had a sole that was also very conducive to bending. Because if you have a club that has a lot of camber, or not, sorry, not a lot of camber, so it's very flat from front to back, as you adjust the bounce, or adjust, sorry, adjust the, the loft for tweaking, well, then you're going to, something that has less camber is going to, you know, inadvertently affect that a lot more than something that has a lot more camber. And so with this iron and with the, the 45 series, 945, 745, and 545, you had this iron that was very easily bendable. You could combo them and do all this stuff. The sole worked really well, and it was fast. And the reason it was fast is partially because of the it was center gravity. The sole was really good through the turf, and the loft was a little bit stronger. And because of all these things working together, you had an iron that had extremely quick upkeep or uptick, up pick, pick up on the PGA Tour, as well as a lot of better players. Um, I've said this before um, when I worked at a custom shop. We sold more of those than almost any other player's iron the year it came out uh, and really hit, partially, again, because you had a lot of players using it. Uh, the It was, again, Strixon was, like, and they do, they still make freaking great irons, right? Um, but it was their first push in North America. They looked different. They looked, like, really sharp because of their angles. They It was just something about them. And because of all these little design characteristics put together, they just worked but what makes them stick in people's bags and this is the important thing and this applies to a lot of other golf clubs which i'm going to touch on now and i wanted to get to this point because there's a lot of golf clubs that get to this point where you know everything comes together and it just works but then the next one comes out and people are like okay well that was, that was really good they just improved on it well okay you know it just kind of goes into the ether it just kind of it's like yeah it was really good but you know something just whatever so what makes something stick around well, part of it has to do with the fact that if it's so distinctive and it's so different, why are people going to upgrade, right? And so you had the 65 series, if we're going to use that as an example, they wanted to make them softer looking again. So the sole got a little less aggressive. The toe got a little bit more round. I think it might've gotten slightly longer heel toe. Everything just looked a little bit more, I want to say organic, but it really is, the word is rounded. I don't want to try and like dress it up and make it sound artsy. But because it got a little bit more rounded, all of a sudden the people who were used to a sharper toe and a sharper look, like a much more square look, were like, that looks really great. But like the ones I have are still fantastic. And that's what causes people to not upgrade. You see, and we've seen this with other golf clubs. And some of the best examples are 588 wedges. So that's another Cleveland Strixon product. Now that's like the original OG stuff, right? Those things stuck around on tour for a really long time. And the shaping still exists for a lot of companies, especially Cleveland, because it was such an iconic shape. And because of that, they kind of tweaked it. They used different shapes. They had different lines. But 580 was always around for a, a really long period of time because of the shape of the golf club. Um, another one, too, which I've mentioned multiple times before, but I think it's always a fun one to mention, is the V-Steel. The V-Steel was a golf club that had a very unique sole design. came along at a time where COR and Fairywoods was getting hotter. And the shaping was, it was smaller. Actually, that's one of the things that made it very popular was because it was a smaller golf club. So for people that hit it out of the, needed to hit it out of the rough 
or wanted to kind of dig down on it for whatever reason, like get it out of like a tough lie, absolutely perfect golf club for that. Um, it's kind of the same reason too, if you look back at some of the older Callaway Fairywoods, like the original Warbird. I remember being a kid washing hooks at a golf club, golf course, uh, like a little semi-private public golf course. And it's club storage for like, I think like 60 members at the, at the golf course. Um, and the, like how many of those we saw in like some of the older people's golf bags is because when they came out, they were so different. They were so unique. That Warbird sole, they were very shallow. They came with these lightweight, very flexible, easy to hit golf shafts. And they were everywhere. Like the Big Bertha was the was the driver brand for such a long period of time because it was so advanced and then the ferry roads were easy to hit. They came with their, they had their funky names, right? You had the Divine Nine and the uh, Heaven Eleven or whatever, Leavenwood or Heavenwood, whatever it was. And so because of that, it stuck around. People don't need to upgrade if they find something that really works, especially when it comes to irons. For players now, depending on ferry roads, a lot of people aren't going to upgrade. Uh, there's uh, I can't I'm blanking on the name right now. There's another player on tour who's got an old Nike Fairywood. He like won't change it because especially too, when it, we talk about Fairywoods, and this is one of the things that I like to talk about when people come or ask about fitting is that, you know, what is your Fairywood designed to do? Are you trying to mash it as far off the tee as possible? Or is it a club where you're trying to hit a certain spot or hit a certain distance? You can fit a Fairywood now that almost goes as long as your driver. I've done that. I've hit Fairywoods that I'm like, this is insane. Like I'm getting almost the exact same ball speed as my driver. Uh, it launched a little lower. It spins a little more just because of everything else that's going on. But by the time it rolls out, it's not very far behind my driver. But if I start looking at launch or um, descent angle and what I want to use it for, which is generally approaching longer holes to try and stop it closer, I'm looking at it going, oh, I don't really need it to do that. And I think that's why we see players like Dustin Johnson or other, like or he's a good, he's a, He's a perfect, like he's one example, but there's a lot of players on tour. They're like, I don't use it. I mean, I don't use a three with that often. I generally carry a lot of them later carry like a four wood or a five wood or a seven wood because they, they go so far because that's what they're designed to do. They're designed to help more average players pick up extra ball speed because you know, who doesn't want to hit a, who wants to hit a shorter three wood? Nobody does. But when it comes to gapping and doing it properly, that's why people stick with clubs for a long period of time. And the V steel is another example. And if you hit those distances especially too in the higher lofted fairy woods too right you have to think about the gapping around it because if you have a golf club like a five wood and you know that you have a swing speed your swing speed hasn't changed you hit the trajectory it lands where you want it to go why are you going to change that golf club out you shouldn't that's plain and simple and let it stick around for as ever as long as you need it until it wears out or doesn't do what it's supposed to do anymore and that's when it's time to upgrade and Again, a fairy wood, three wood specifically, for certain players, they want off the tee. Some players want it as more of an approach club. And in that case, then yes, you're going to have to look at different golf clubs more often, depending on how much your swing is changing or speed or all these other factors. But if you have a club that you hit a certain distance, like a five wood, like a seven wood, why are you going to switch it? My perennial favorite is the Jason Duffner 915 seven wood. I built one of those myself this year. It's, it's stuck around all year. I can't obviously say that about a lot of golf clubs, especially when it comes to fairway woods and things like that, because I love testing them. But it goes the distance that I want. I can hit the shots that I want with it. Have I looked at other ones? Absolutely. I've looked at other titles ones because the tip is the same. So I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should try this one or maybe I should try that one. I haven't had the chance to get around to like purchasing one, but you know what? I look at it and I go, 
yeah, maybe, but I still know that this one works. So why am I truly going to switch it out? And that is the exact same thing when it comes to irons, but except you carry six or seven of them. And if you're getting the trajectory that you want, if you're hitting the, the distances that you need, and I mean, I say distances, I mean gapping. I'm not telling you to hit it five yards further because if you hit every club in your bag five yards further, great. Does it really make a huge difference? No. But if you hit it further with a higher trajectory, which means you can approach longer holes with shorter golf clubs, then yes, that, that, is, that is an actual thing that allows you to hopefully score better when you have better descent angles. You have things that uh, get closer to your target. It means you can get to tighter pins. All of these things come together saying, okay, well, maybe five yards or eight yards is a big pickup on your irons, and that's going to help you because you're getting extra height, you're getting a better descent angle, you're maybe decreasing your dispersion, you're doing much better as far as shrinking your entire target area. Um, I don't remember, oh, there's someone out there, I just, like, it came to my mind as I mentioned the dispersion, and that is, uh, you know, your shot is not you're, not, you're not a sniper rifle, okay? Some of the best, if you look at average approaches and all these different things, you know, there's still this, this uh, area that you're going to generally hit. Have it be right of your target, left of your target, long. And, and that's what statistics allow us to do. Things like Arcos or ShotScope or any of those other ones that allows you to track where you're, where you're hitting shots around the golf course. It gives you that information and it allows you to better understand your game. And in reality, your approach to any target area is like a shotgun. Right? You're going to have this general area where it's going to find. And are you going to find the middle of the bullseye? Yeah, you're going to find it occasionally, but you have to think of how much that spray really is, which is your dispersion, and being able to understand like where you're going to miss it. And if you can shrink that spray down, it's never going to be a sniper rifle. Pros don't hit sniper rifle. They don't hit shots landing the exact same target. It may look like that on TV on Sunday afternoon, but you're watching the best players in the world come down the stretch playing their best golf, on a golf course and that's why people kind of associate with that but in reality again you're looking at this much larger dispersion so if you're able to shrink that with any golf club and like gain distance that's a reason to upgrade but when we're talking about the best players in the world and this is where these cult classic golf clubs kind of come from because they stick around in players bags and then it kind of feeds down that i don't want to call it pyramid of influence because i don't think that you know i don't think brian gay has a huge influence on you know a, a three handicap who has his irons for a long period of time the reason a three handicap has his irons for a long period of time is because he likes those irons right they're not going to switch if they don't have to because again they do all the things they're supposed to do but what it comes down to is the fact that you know i always say the the buzz kind of like lingers there for a long time with these golf clubs and it's because the stuff that comes out afterwards is still really good but it's hard to match it especially when it comes to looks looks is a big thing when it comes to golf clubs because if something has a particular look People get used to it and they kind of like, oh, I don't really need to upgrade. Now, sometimes players will use a golf club that performs really well, but it doesn't look great. And then, of course, they're going to go, well, this is definitely a reason to upgrade. And you see that as well. We see that a lot. I'm not saying that the TS drivers were really bad because they're not. They were really good. But if you look at the new TSI 3 versus the TS 3, there's these little tweaks and kind of things that designers and engineers did to make it better. It has more of that traditional pear shape that the other ones had. Uh, and because of the face technology, they can do that and not sacrifice MOI, which what the other ones were designed to do because of their shaping. Then you have the sole and the weighting. And uh, I think that they said that uh, Charlie Hoffman was someone who 
like to drag his driver back. So he felt like there was that little thing on the back of the driver. He's like, you know what? It doesn't bother me. But I mean, if it wasn't there, it'd be even better, right? And that's kind of where designers come in and they tweak things and they find things that work better and then they, you know, they implement them when it comes to newer designs. But if a club works really well, players aren't going to switch out of it. Now, I've mentioned the V-Steel. Another one, my personal favorite, uh, the 906 Fairywoods from Titleist. Those things were, I think Rory had them for a very long period of time. I think those were like some of the last clubs that when he was went from Titleist to Nike that came out of his bag because Nike Fairywoods for a long period of time had like a chunkier hosel. And, you know, they weren't bad. They were actually really good. And there was like the the Dymo stuff. That was, I really liked those Fairywoods, by the way. The SQ stuff. And they had a lot of tour issue Fairywoods that looked really, really, really good. Um, but because it's a golf club that, you know, looking at trajectory, looking at height, looking at uh, being able to hit the shots that you want to hit high, low, left, right. And then there's also that confidence level of just how a golf club feels. He stuck with those for a very long period of time. I've already mentioned the 588s. Another one too, another tour player driven model is the 680s, which yeah, 680s that Adam Scott uses, right? And, you know, they're the exact opposite of the Cirxons. They don't have a huge amount of camber on the sole. Um, they're a little boxier than a lot of irons would look, but like, why is he going to switch? Especially too, when it comes to an iron that he's very comfortable with and it's a blade iron. You're not looking for technology when it comes to a blade iron or generally a smaller forged cavity back. You're looking for a sole design. You're looking for looks. You're looking for the performance on the ball flight through the ground, which obviously has to do with the sole. Um, and then just your distance control and overall control of the golf ball. If, if, you're doing that and you're not swapping around, then why, like, why is there a reason to test? Now, especially with, again, irons is the big one. The other one too, that I think I've mentioned before, but I think it's really important to mention. And, and it's because of its iconic status as just a golf club in general, one of the best selling irons of all time. I believe it is the best selling iron of all time. And that is the Ping I-2. That model name lasted for 10 years. That is unheard of in golf clubs. It's not going to happen anymore. Just, it's not. There's, like, I know, again, I use the car analogy. Like, yes, they make new Camrys. They make new whatever, different other, I just not default to Toyota a lot. They make Honda Civics. They're making Civics for, like, 30 years, right? But a golf club, a company's not going to hang on to that forever because, you know, there's, with a car, you're associating with, like, reliability. But, you know, with clubs, you're looking at technology and all these different things. And, you know, Apple does a really good job of that because, you know, you have macbook pro you have an ipod you have an ipad yeah they still make ipods right um iphone and they just attach new numbers to them right because it's such an iconic brand but when it comes to golf clubs because of i mean it's a big market but it's not you're not selling as many golf clubs as you're selling phones right everyone has a phone the idea of carrying that on forever is you know they don't need to do that so there's like this naming thing that always happens because it's new either associates with a year or like maybe a historic model you see that with um, the 600 series new blades and cavity backs and Titleist, they've gone back to the six number. They've wanted to reintroduce that. And so you have all of this going on as far as naming and, and recognition and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it still has to perform. And when it comes to the i2, it was so freaking good. They changed the sole profile after a while. Then you had the i2 plus, and then you had all these other versions when the groove change came and all these different things. And then there were models after it, and you had absolutely fantastic golf clubs. You had the Zing, you had the Zing 2, you had the ISI, uh, ISI-K. There was these different, all these different 
um, models after that. And they're very good. Uh, the Zing was obviously very funky looking, extremely high MOI for an iron because of the bulbous shape of the heel and toe and all these other kind of things going on with it. But people were like, yeah, it's, it's great. Like you guys have designed a better iron, but I still look at back at my I2s and like Tim Heron was a guy who got a new set from Ping every year uh, and just use it. He's like, why am I going to switch? I, I know what it looks like. He used them from college to like, I would say 10 years ago. Like he had to use them for like 20 years. It was just, an, it was nuts. But he didn't have a reason to switch. They made him a new set. Why am I going to switch? They're great. They work. They hit the distances that I want. And I guess it got to the point where he's like, you know what? I'm losing distance. I'm losing control. I really should upgrade. And that's what happens, right? But as far as design features, you have something like the i2 and you still see it historically in the high toe and the PM grind and the, the high toe Wilson wedge and all these other companies that are producing stuff like that because it pays homage to that original design. So that's a perfect example of like a call golf that just, just has refuses to die really. And it shouldn't because it's so freaking good. Um, another one too, sometimes the reason a golf club becomes highly sought after is because it's harder to get. That's, you know, it, it sounds funny, but that's part of the deal with it. Right. And you think of, I think of old Scotty Cameron's now. I'm not, I used to be, a, I would say I was, I was definitely a diehard, like, collector of like older retail stuff like the studio stuff and the art of putting the oil can at one point i had four different oil can newport two putters uh the, the least expensive one i got for like 20 dollars as a kid uh, the most expensive i paid was i don't want to admit it right now <laughs> but because of that now they're even more expensive and they're older because they're harder to come by in good shape right and that's kind of one of those things like if you look at uh, again talking about scarcity you have something like the, I've mentioned this a hundred times. If you're sitting, listening to this, you're probably thinking he's probably going to, he's probably going to say the Bridgestone driver. And you're right. It's the J33 driver. You couldn't really get those in North America unless you knew someone who had like a distribution account because they just weren't that really readily available. Even in, I'm in Canada and like you couldn't find Bridgestone golf in Canada. I bought a bunch of stuff every time I had to buy it online, ship it across the border from the States. I always bought it used, which is great for me. And the other part of that too, is because their distribution model at the time for their, their golf clubs really stunk. Um, sorry, Bridget, no, it was true. Um, I'm sure you'd be willing to admit it now, uh, because you've done a way better job at it, but because of this model, when stuff was kind of retired, a lot of times it just was cleared out of inventory from their, like from a company perspective to like discount retailers who would sell them online for like half the price or like, I don't know, two thirds of the price that they would sell for new. So you had things like the J36 and the J38s, especially the J36s. That was like a big one. You could find new sets of the combo sets online for like 500 bucks. You know, like this is nuts. They had like Project X flighted shafts and then they had the stock tour uh, velvet grips. Yes. I, you can imagine that I've done a lot of, I did a lot of searching in my day trying to find sets of those. Uh, but because they were harder to find, people were actually like these, and they stick around. They stuck around for a long period of time. But the driver, because it was so much more difficult to find, that it became this kind of like club that people looked after. And people always talk about that. Or another one was the MP001 460 driver. And you've talked to, the, I've talked to Chris Vichelle about it from Mizuno. He said there was something about that golf club, carbon, whatever. It was like one of the first carbon composite uh, crowned drivers. Uh, there was something about whatever they did to that, that driver. It just like, smoked ball speed like it just had it all over the face i mean the new stuff is way more forgiving well relatively speaking but at the time compared to other drivers it was very very fast all over the face 
uh, and there was it was just something about it that really worked. Now, did it have the same uh, call following as like a 588 XD TP, which was like a tour issue driver that you know became more easily available as it got older? But did it ever have that? No, it didn't because you know a lot of people didn't really it didn't get anywhere near the play as like other drivers from other companies. But it doesn't mean the other ones weren't great because the 588XD was a ridiculously good driver. And at the time, when you think about um, the way TaylorMade created product cycles, you could go into a big box store and you could see the new driver. You'd see like the, whatever, an R7 or an R7 425. And then you could also see the R7, the original one. And then you could see the R500 series over there. And like there was just this uh, sliding scale of prices that if you were looking for a golf club and that, that was part of their strategy at the time. And it created, it made them a very, very large and successful company. But when, you know, when people will start looking at inventory going like, what the hell am I doing? Doing, you know what I mean? Like that, that was just the issue at the time. That's what happened, but it doesn't happen now. Um, now another one too, which I'm going to touch on to kind of end the show, because I think it's important and it kind of ties everything together here. Uh, and I mention them a lot. You'll see them. I've talked about them on social media. I, I show off some of the clubs that I have, and that is Adams, Adams Hybrids. They did something different. They did something where it targeted a very specific player, which was a better player. They went out and they became the number one hybrid on the whatever nationwide tour, and then the PGA Tour, because they just look. We're going to make hybrids that you guys like. We know what plays to you will feed down that pyramid of influence to other players. And we can make more forgiving stuff for higher handicaps. We can really make stuff that targets better players. And because of this design philosophy, uh, I know, um, look at that. I didn't mean to tie that in, but there's, this is actually, I'm just going to give myself a little applause for this because this, I, again, I don't write these things down. I just put them all together. Um, is that if you look at some of the older pictures of Brian Gay's golf bags, he had the 9031 hybrid which is the one, a couple, I have a couple of those still. And he used those forever. He like basically wore the faces like shiny chrome, not cream, sorry. He, didn't wear, he just wore the black um, finish off the face of those things and they were chipped and all kinds of stuff, but he just used them. And he's using the Apex Hybrid now, which is a very close resemblance to those other irons, or sorry, other hybrids because of the look and the shaping. And, you know, Cal, like there's, I, I've talked about this before. I've talked about the history of like where engineers went and all this stuff. I don't need to cover that again. Um, but before I finish and I kind of give you the little closing bit on this, uh, I do want to say, cause I'm talking a lot about used golf clubs and there's a lot of places to buy them. But one of the things, and one of the, one of the places that we like to work with at golf WRX is golf Avenue. You can go to golf, WRX, golf slash golf Avenue. If you're trading in golf clubs, you get extra value on your trade-ins. And if you're looking to purchase with some of that stuff you traded in, you also get more money on the back end as well. One of the things that I love about golf Avenue, and this is like, I just had this conversation with my friend this week. He was looking for a used fairy wood. He's a lefty, so he's got his freaking pick right now. And uh, he's like, well, where's, where's the place? So you, have you checked out Golf Avenue? He's like, no. I said, I'm talking to people on like Kijiji or local buy and sell. Or I'm trying to find other places online. I said, check them out because you get to pick your golf shafts if it's not the shaft you want, if they have, a larger, if they have other stuff in stock. And you get the picture of every single golf club that you're looking for. That's what I love about it. Because there's nothing worse than getting a representative picture, having it show up and be like, oh, there's a big scratch on the sole. And if you're going to spend money in golf clubs, know what you're buying. And you get that with Golf Avenue and you get great value from them. You get free shipping over, I think it's $100 or $150, which is also really nice. And as well, again, you have the opportunity to look through their entire selection, really new stuff. 
can find some old classics, which is what I like. I always talk about that too, stuff that I like to look for. And that's what I like to talk about on the show here because for everybody that's looking for value, it's a great place to go. Remember that's golfwrx.com slash golf avenue to get all the details on trading and purchasing and getting our deal on our side. And that's golfavenue.ca where you can just, you know, browse their site. So getting back to Brian Gay's golf bag, which is what I'm trying to, you know, wrap it all up here, right? And talking Adams. One of the golf clubs that is still very hard to find are the BTYs. It's kind of like meant beauty. Um, that was a, a combo brazed fairy wood, had a plug in, the, uh, had a weight in the sole. You could adjust them. Use the same weight as a lot of the hybrids. Tiny. You ever see a BTY fairy wood and set it down? You're like, how did anyone even play these things? I remember Aaron Bradley played them for a long period of time. Um, because they were so small, they had such a forward center of gravity, they didn't spin a lot. So for someone like Badley who hits down on his on his uh on his fairways, I think he had like he has a downward angle of attack on his driver too. Or at least he used to. Um but if you look at that and you look at the design, he's not gonna change them because he hits them well because the design works really well for him. If you had a club that had a much further back center of gravity, wasn't going to work so well for him because of his angle of attack and his approach to the golf ball. So because of that, something like those BTY stuck around and did really well. There was two versions of that. There was the BUL, which was the larger, non didn't have an adjustable weight, still had the same technology, it was a little bit more upright, it was a much larger head, and there was a driver that went along with it. And the driver looked very black. There was no adjustable weighting, it was just this big 460, somewhat medium face height driver but they went like stink they were actually really good drivers they put a terrible crappy stock shaft in it which i think was part of the problem um but overall the driver itself was actually very good but the bty there was a bty 430 driver well which was a yeah i think four yeah four yeah, 430 driver and then the bty ferry which came in a, a three plus a three a four a five and i think there might have even been a seven wood uh, but I think the seven might've only came in the BUL. I'm not quite sure. Cause it was designed to be a better player, higher swing speed club. They came with, uh, was it the Graffaloi Pro Light Red, which is a lower launch, good, good shaft for a lot of people with an aggressive tempo. And you had this real winner there. And for players that played them and a lot of older Adams Fairywoods, they just flat out worked. Someone asked me this week on my questions. And remember you can follow along on Instagram RDS Brath, same handle on Twitter as well. And you can also follow the show along at OnSpecWRX. I will be doing another question and answer this week. So stay tuned. Get your questions in. Uh, I only have so much, not that I have so much time, but I can only answer so many questions because of some of the detail that I want to get into with uh, some of them. Um, maybe I'm going to start answering them with some video just because it makes it a little easier to understand some of the things I'm trying to talk about. Uh, and then Instagram only gives us so many uh, a bit like so many things, little, whatever stories to use within a certain time period. So, you know, you got to get them in quick so I can make sure that I have a chance to answer them. And that's RDS Brath on Instagram, Twitter and on spec WRX. So anyways, but one of the questions someone asked me was, what's like your all time favorite, favorite fairyweight? And one of the ones that I absolutely loved was the, um, F 11 titanium. It was this blue club had slots in the top and the bottom. And, I had a strong three wood that when I digitally lofted it was closer to like 12 degrees instead of the 13 and a half or 13 that it was supposed to be. And it was a rocket. I used that thing for like almost three years, which again, not something that is very common with myself. And the only reason I upgraded was to the SLDR three wood, which is the three plus or tour spoon, whatever it's called. Um, and that's another, again, that's another fairy we could talk about for a long period of time. But when it comes to cult golf clubs, listen, because I get a lot of questions about fitting, if you have a club that works very well and you really like it, 
there's really no reason to change it. I just want to put it out there. You know, find something to spend your golf money on. Have it be around a golf course you haven't played before and you've always been really excited to do it. Or um, maybe it's shoes or a golf bag. Get your clubs regripped. That's another thing. And season is ending now, so if you have a chance to, uh, get them regripped and get them ready for either some practice over the winter or maybe wear them out now and then get them ready for spring. Or, you know, go through a gapping session. Make sure everything is where it's supposed to be, and that can lead to a fitting. It's another way to spend money more efficiently when it comes to buying golf clubs because if you've got, you know, some of these golf clubs and the grooves are still on them, then keep using them. But if you are finding there's difficulty or you're not getting the distance or you're, you're not getting the gapping properly or you're just not finding that you hit the trajectories to stop it on greens as much, now it's time to start looking at something new. But when you are online, if you happen to see these older models that you know seem to be going for higher prices and other stuff, it's because a lot of times they're maybe highly revered and people really like them and they want to hold on to them. And if you got one of these golf clubs, hold on to it too because you don't want to get rid of something and then you know want it back and then... I've done, I've done that way too many times. I bought and sold way too many of the same golf clubs over and over again. I swore myself I'm not going to do it again. Um, and really, fingers crossed, I'm not going to do it, hopefully. Uh, and that's what this street show is about. It's about making sure, well, first of all, it's about talking cult golf clubs. And it's talking about really cool stuff. Congratulations to Brian Gay. Congratulations to Strixon Cleveland for making, you know, irons that have stood the test of time as far as putting in players' golf clubs or players putting them in their bags. I know they've got some pretty cool, exciting stuff coming out, which are we don't really have again all the details yet, but we're going to be able to share them when we can. Um, and then with all of that, if you have stuff that you like, stick with it. If you're struggling, go see a fitter. Or, you know, ask you can ask again on the Instagram questions, Instagram stories. Always happy to help with that too. But see a fitter. These people are knowledgeable. They're there to help you play better golf. Go in with an open mind. And, you know, at the end of the day, Maybe you're going to leave with the confidence that your clubs are already great. Maybe you need a little tweak, you need some regrips, and you're set to go. Or maybe you you come out with the understanding that, you know what, to play some better golf and to tighten your dispersion and get better and be able to do the things that you want to do with your golf game, maybe that will require some new golf clubs. But either way, whatever end of that you end on, now you have the knowledge. and That's the most valuable thing you can possibly have when it comes to your golf game and your equipment. So I hope you enjoyed the show this week. I'm Ryan Brath, and as always, thanks for listening.